Philippians chapter 3, um, beginning in verse number 1. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses here this morning uh, as we consider what it means to live a resurrected life. Uh, the life that Jesus made available to us, the life that Jesus intends for us to live. Uh, and so Philippians chapter 3, uh, and beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And so I'm going to speak this morning on that thought, living the resurrected life. And let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer and ask him to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we come one more time this morning and trusting you. Uh, to do what we cannot do. All I can do this morning, Lord, as a pastor, is just offer some words. But if you'll empower them, Holy Spirit, if you'll take them and you'll drive them into our heart, if you'll uh, open them to our eyes and to our minds, that we might see the truth and the reality of the Word of God. Lord, it can be truly a life-changing moment, not because of anything that a man could say or do, but because of the power of God working in us. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself manifest in our hearts this morning. I pray that you would do the work in every heart that you desire to do. May we not resist you, but may we invite you and welcome you into our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, and amen. If you look here at the text, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. And as he writes to the church at Philippi, he's coming to them and he's saying, it's not, it's not a difficult thing or a burdensome thing for me to write to you again. Uh, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Many of the books are letters that he wrote to the churches or to individuals. That doesn't mean that those are the only letters that he wrote. Uh, and he seems to indicate that here. He's writing to them again. And he said, for you, it's safe. It's not a burden to me. And it's safe for you. In other words, I, I'm doing this for your help and for your benefit uh, and I'm glad to do it because it's going to give you some instruction. And then he says, beware the concision. That's not a word that we really use today or see, but what it literally means is to, to self-mutilate or to cut away. 
Uh, and so he's saying, beware of those teachers uh, that are false teachers that are requiring the law to be integrated into, uh, into your worship of God. Uh, Jesus set us free from the burden and the oppression of the law. And the Apostle Paul then expounds upon that when he says here uh, that, you know, when it comes to uh, our standing in righteousness to the view or to the point of view of mankind uh, and how we appear to others and how we feel about ourselves, uh, he says, I more than others. And he's not, and Paul's a very humble man. He's a very uh, meek man. He is not one uh, that brags a lot. But here his testimony speaks to the truth that he's trying to communicate. And he says, listen, if anybody can say I'm righteous, I am of the stock of, uh, of, of, of the nation of Israel. I am from, uh, have been followed the law from the moment of my birth. It was required uh, for their male children to be circumcised on the eighth day. He said, from my birth, I followed the law. As a child, my parents kept me in the teaching of the word of God. They brought me up under the law. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the most perhaps respected uh, teacher in, in, in their area at their time and of their age. And so as he's here, he's saying, listen, uh, I've, I'm, I've got the teaching. I've had the training. I didn't reject it. I embraced it. I'm a, I know the word of God. I know the law of God. And not only that. I know that spoken law that's been enforced upon us as well. Uh, the law of the Pharisees. In fact, I'm so righteous in the eyes of man that I myself am a Pharisee. Uh, and I, as far as my zeal goes, I'm not the type of a Pharisee that sits back and lets others go out and do the heavy lifting. I'm the Pharisee that stands up and persecutes the church. I'm the one that went after them and that tried to bring them around to the teaching of the day. Uh, he said, I was all caught up in that. So if you want to start checking boxes about how righteous somebody can be, I check every box. I haven't missed a box. I've done everything that man requires. I've done everything that man has interpreted that's required uh, of the law that was given by God. But he said, all things, what things were gained to me, that righteousness that's gained to me, the accolades that are gained to me, uh, all of those things in that realm. He's not talking about a lot of massive material wealth. He's talking about his, his perceived position as a righteous and an upright man, as a Pharisee among the Jews, and as a leader, as a persecutor of the church that they deem to be a false religion, uh, and trying to uh, equip that. He said, all of that I count it lost for Christ. All of that now matters not to me. All the years that I spent in study, all the years I spent in service. And matter of fact, his persecution of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was his great motivator through life. He said, I owe a debt to those that I persecuted before Jesus met me on the Damascus road and saved my soul. Before he revealed himself to me in reality and truth as to who he is. All of that was counted lost. I count all that but dung. It's all waste. It's all refuge. None of that matters to me anymore because now I have Christ. That's what's important to me. And the life that I was searching for as I sat and study, and the life that I was searching for and the relationship that I was longing for as I persecuted the church began truly on that day when Jesus Christ revealed himself to me in his resurrected state. 
You see, my friends, this morning, there are a lot of us that come together. Uh, and there are a lot of folks that, you know, kind of this is our, our, back, to, our back to church Sunday. There, there are a lot of times, I, I read an article early this morning that said that for a lot of people, and this is kind of mind-blowing to me, but for a lot of churches, this is their first Sunday back from the pandemic. Uh, and so there are a lot of folks in our minds, we're gearing up and we want to get back to normal and we want to live life and we're searching for truth and for righteousness. But I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're looking for that in religion, you're never going to find it. Amen. It doesn't exist. Religion is the great condemner of men and the law condemns us. And by the way, God gave us the law to condemn us. It's our schoolmaster that we might understand that we could never do anything that would be sufficient to appease the anger and the justice of God. You say, but pastor, doesn't God love us? Of course he does. That's why he sent Jesus to bear our sin. But it doesn't divorce himself from the fact that he's just and that he's holy and that he's righteous. The beauty of the gospel is that God never compromised who or what he is and, uh, and he never will. But just like you as a parent and I as a parent, a grandparent, uh, get angry at our children. Listen, I've been angry at my four kids a lot of time, but I never stopped loving them. There have been times that I brought justice or I brought correction, that I brought uh, training. But I did it because I loved them, not because I didn't love them. Now, I'm going to tell you, they didn't always perceive it as love, but it was always in love. And what I'm saying this morning is that God gave us the law that we might understand that it's not about religion and it's not about good works and it's not about what I can do. It's about what Jesus Christ could do that I could never do. You see, if I'm trusting in my own righteousness to go to heaven, I'll never measure up to the holiness of God. But if I rest in him and if I put my faith in him, he's measured up. What Jesus Christ is looking for you is not a life of religious activity. He's looking for a relationship day in and day out with you, with his child. That's the life that God offers us. And that's the life that so few Christians realize. See, this morning as we look at this and we look at the Apostle Paul and he lays out his resume and he says that, uh, you know, and I, I want to be found in him not having my own righteousness in verse number nine, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. It's that supernatural working of God in our lives, not only to save our souls, but also to empower us to live in a way that honors and please him. To fulfill his will for our lives. To accomplish that's what, that he would have us to accomplish. And so when we come this morning, I wonder this morning how many of us could say, I am living the life that God wants me to live. I'm living the life this morning that Jesus Christ provided for me when he got up out of that grave. I'm, I've owned it. I've come to him and said, Lord, by faith, I accept. I can't do this on my own, but I accept you as my Savior. Not only do I accept you as my Savior, but I surrender my will to your will for my life that you might be honored and glorified. That's the life that God wants us to have. You know, most people never realize their childhood dreams. You know, whenever I was a kid running around in the woods up in North Texas, I, I never thought, uh, I never thought for a minute that I'd ever one day be a pastor. I honestly, at that point in my life, I didn't even really know what a pastor was. We didn't go to church, but just on maybe a very rare occasion and uh, maybe at vacation Bible school time during the summer, we might, uh, some years we might go and some we might not. And 
It wasn't until later in my, uh, in my childhood, in my t- early teen years, that I really came to understand what, uh, what Jesus did for me and how uh, God has given himself for us and, uh, and that there's more to life than just chasing after the dollar and retirement accounts and vacations and, uh, and all of those things. Uh, but there's something that's meaningful that lasts for eternity. And I, it took a while for me to figure that out. So when I was a kid, uh, really all I cared about was just playing. And sometimes I was on the back of a horse and I was, I was deciding whether or not we would argue as kids who, was going to be, who were going to be the cowboys and who were going to be the Indians. We always wanted to be the Indians. We got to ride around in our shorts and get, to get tans and fall off the horse and just flop out in a pile of hay as you rode by and uh, do all that kind of fun stuff that kids love to do. I spent more time in the creek bottom than I did uh, in the house. Uh, and so we would just be out doing that kind of thing. If we weren't doing that, we were playing football or we were playing uh, baseball or we were doing things of that nature. And what kid today, and really in our society today, every kid thinks that they're going to be an NFL, an NFL or a Major League Baseball star or an NBA player. I mean, you can't convince them. You go out to the parks today, uh, this afternoon, and you talk to the 12 and 13-year-old kids there, and they all think that they're the next Michael Jordan or LeBron James. That, that's what they, they really think that. You try to convince them, hey, only, try, to, try to tell them the facts that only maybe 1% will ever get to that level. Uh, not even their level, but just, just that level where they can be on a team. Maybe even a collegiate team. And you can't convince them because they're certain that they're going to be there. And then reality sets in. And the disappointment of not making the high school team. Or the disappointment of not making it to a D1 school. Or the disappointment of not getting drafted. Getting cut on opening day. And you go through all of the disappointments of life. My point is this, that most of us don't grow up and realize our childhood dreams for our lives. We grow up and we face the harsh reality and the disappointments of life. And we come to the realization at some point, sometimes we get there early, sometimes people will be my age and still struggling to figure that out. But you get there and you come to the realization that you know that this is, this is all that life has for me. And we settle. And then we turn around in our Christian life and we're grateful that we found Christ and we've accepted him as our Savior, if you have this morning. And uh, and then in our Christian life, we uh, go through the struggles of the Christian life and early in your Christian life and you learn and you begin to get these ideas of, man, I want to do something for God that's going to be meaningful and powerful. I want to do, I want my life to matter. I want it to impact the lives of others. I want God to take my life and to use me in a significant way. But that significant way is often defined by the way that man defines God's use of our life. But God has a specific plan for you. And God has a specific plan for me. And God did not save us to to live unto ourselves in frustration. He saved us that we might walk in the power of his resurrection. And that we might become, through Christ working in us, what he designed for us to become. Now I can get all bogged down in what I've not become. Or I can look and I can say, God, have I gotten my eyes off of my dreams and focused my attention on your dreams for my life? Have I seen and have I understood, have I sought out and desired to be what you want me to be in the Christian life? Listen, this morning, Jesus Christ did not become flesh, walk among us, suffer the cross, rise from the grave that we might live in misery. That's not his plan. He came and he gave us all that, that we might live in the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? The resurrected life in the Christian life should be a life that's fulfilling. 
Your walk with God, your study of his word, your service to him, your worship of him should be something that brings contentment and fulfilling. We've in our family, we have we have a one last college graduation, our youngest daughter. And then a couple of weeks after that, one last wedding. Praise the Lord. All of that part of our stage of life will be behind us. And we can uh, maybe we can think about mom and dad for a while. Uh, and so uh, at least for a little bit. Uh, but we'll get all that behind us. But right now we're kind of in that it's prep mode. So the other day I was out on Thursday and uh, and I'm out where, you know, one of my boys is helping me cut the lawn and uh, and then my daughter-in-law comes out and I'm getting ready to pressure wash and she says, I can help pressure wash and I had uh, a door that I needed to scrape and get the frame to scrape and paint it down. So uh, I got some of the pressure washing done, then kind of passed it off to her. And she's a little bit like me in the, in the fact that uh, we're both kind of compulsive a little bit. Uh, we, we like things clean and we like things neat. And my wife's that way too in that regard. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we get up. I, I like the bed to be made. I like, uh, we don't like a lot of clutter around the house. If it's not being used or the kids aren't playing with it, then we're constantly going around just kind of picking up and, uh, and, and tidying things up. And so we don't like a lot of dishes in the sink. We just, that's us. That's the way that we tend to live. So I told my, my daughter-in-law, I said, and I'm showing her, okay, the mold's really heavy right here. So work it across this way. Uh, I'm going up about, yeah high doing the window because she had never done windows or things like that so I'm showing her real quick how to do it and I said I came back around later after I got done painting and she's still working on part of the house almost done and I said it's pretty satisfying isn't it there's a lot of satisfaction in just taking that thing and watching all of that that mold just cut right off it was nasty and now it's clean we had a lot of satisfaction in that it's fulfilling the Christian life should be fulfilling the Christian life shouldn't leave you empty the Christian life shouldn't leave us wondering. Listen, by the way, the Christian life should be exciting. Hey, if, if, if the Christian life is not exciting, then there's something wrong about how I'm living it. There's something wrong about my relationship with Christ. It should be exciting. The Christian life should give me purpose. You know, the most, most, one of the saddest things to me is to see so many young people today uh, walking around drifting. They have no idea where they're going to go. They have no idea what they're going to do. They have no dreams, goals, ambitions. They're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to be uh, when they grow up, not realizing that they've been grown up for about 20 years now. And so uh, they're just kind of drifting along. That's sad. And we ought to be looking to God. Listen, God can tell you what his purpose for your life is. He wants us to understand what his purpose for our life is. He wants us to live a life that matters. You know, one of the things that I just dread would be the thought of somebody having to stand over in my, my casket and preach my funeral one day and say, his life didn't matter. I want, my, I want to live a life that matters. And I'm not talking about a life that matters because I left my kids a great inheritance. I'm talking about a life that matters when I come into the presence of my Savior. See, one of these days, this body's going to cease to cease to breathe. This heart's going to cease to beat. And one way or the other, either the Lord's going to come back and rapture us home or we're going to, uh, our lives are going to come to an end naturally on this earth. And uh, at, at any rate, if you know the Lord is your Savior, when that happens, you're going to come into his presence. I don't want to go stand before God shamefaced. Trying to have to feel like, man, how am I going to explain the life that he gave me that I wasted? I want to go knowing that my life had purpose and that it mattered. That I invested it in the people of God and in the work of God. That when God gave me something to do, that I did my best to carry it out through his power and with his guidance and leadership. 
I want to have a life that matters. A Christian life, a life that Christ gave us to live in the power of his resurrection should be a life of joy. There are a lot of things that happen in life that can steal your joy, but uh, it really ought to, those times should be shortened and overwhelmingly it should be a life that's filled with joy. That's the life that Jesus wants you to live this morning. Amen. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not one of these prosperity people that, that just says, hey, trust Christ and everything's going to be awesome and you're never going to have another problem. Life is filled with problems. We live on a sin-cursed earth. Your heart sometimes is going to break. But is your life defined by that? Is your life defined by joy? See, the life that we live, the resurrected life that the Apostle Paul is writing about and speaking to here is a life that's fulfilling. It's a life that's exciting. It's a life that has purpose, that matters, that's filled with joy. That's the life that he wants you to live. Pastor, that's not the life that I have in Christ. Perhaps you've lost the power of his resurrection this morning. See, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. See, we live in his resurrection when we trust him as our savior and, uh, and he moves into our heart and takes up residence there and is our guide. I have the resurrected Christ within me in the form and the person of the Holy Spirit of God. But the truth be told, that doesn't mean that I've given him myself that I can enjoy his power in my life. He wants to live powerfully in our lives. He wants to live in a way that he can show himself to the world through us. So what is the resurrected life? What is that life? And I'm going to go through this really quickly this morning. I'm mindful of the time. We have activities after. And so listen closely as we uh, go through this. If you have your notes there, we're going to get right into the main part of the message now. And I would say this morning, the resurrected life is a life that is delivered from sin. Listen, if your life has not been delivered from, this, from sin this morning, then you've not even begun to understand or have the capacity to really fully comprehend what Jesus Christ can do for you. What does that mean? That means that I have to understand that in the resurrected life, a resurrected Christ has set me free from my sentence of condemnation. I've been set free from the power and the condemnation of sin. So, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I don't listen. John chapter 3, we love John chapter 3 and verse 16, right? But read the verses around it. We're condemned already. I didn't have to do anything to be condemned except be here. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. And he's not talking about that she conceived him immorally. He's a man after God's own heart. Listen, if a man after God's own heart says, I was conceived in sin, the point that he's trying to make is, is that the sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden by Adam was passed to me. I'm born in sin. And I sin because that's my nature. All of us this morning have sinned because it's our nature to sin. What did Jesus Christ do for us on Calvary's cross and when he rose from the grave? He broke the power of that sin. He broke the power of that condemnation. And he made it possible for me to seek forgiveness and to be made right stand in standing before God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 18 says, Being then made free from sin, ye became servants. I want to serve God this morning, not because I'm coerced to serve him. I want to serve him from the, the joy and, uh, and the gratefulness of a heart that says, God, I was once enslaved by the power of sin. I was once under the penalty and the yoke of sin. And I was going to face eternal judgment because of my sin. And rightfully so. But you loved me so much that you allowed Jesus Christ to step in before you as judge. And whenever you pass sentence upon me, he stepped in and said, I'll bear their sentence. I'll serve their sentence. I'll take the shame. I'll do the time. 
you let them go free. And not only did he let us go free, but he said, I want you to, Father, to wipe away the sin from the record. I want their record to be clean. I want it to be justified. No one have time to get into the deep theology of that this morning, other than to say that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, he says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What does that mean? That means that my record is expunged of all wrongdoing. I no longer, when, when, God, when I stand before God in regards to my salvation, God is not going to look at me and he's not going to look at you and say, well, you sure are lucky that my son loved you enough to step in and take your sin. He's going to say, I see no wrongdoing at all. I see someone that is righteous and justified. I see you as I created mankind in the garden. Because he doesn't see our sin. He sees the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees that recorded, that resurrected Savior from us, delivered from sin. My friends, this morning we can be delivered from the, from the penalty of our sin and we also can be delivered from the power of that sin over us. There are a lot of people in this life that have, that have understood, yeah, I'm a sinner. I, I recognize that, Pastor. I mean, just look around. The world's an evil place. It's not hard to realize that man is sinful. And I'm part of mankind. I'm sinful. I, I know that I've done wrong. And, and maybe I'm not as bad as this person down the street or the guy that you see in the news. But, uh, but hey, uh, you know, and the Bible tells us, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and sorcerers and whoremongers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I don't think there's anybody here. Oh, I know there's not. There's not anybody in the room this morning that at our ages that could say, uh, maybe that little baby back there hasn't lied yet, uh, at least not with words. Uh, but there's not any of us that could say, I've not told a lie. If we did, we'd be lying. You know, and if I were to go around and say, hey, how many people do I have to kill before you'd label me a murderer? We'd say one. And how many lies do I have to tell before God would label me a liar? I say one. When we understand what God has done for us in His grace and His love and His mercy, then we look and we understand that God has set us free from the penalty of that sin. And the penalty of that sin is separation from God for all of eternity in hell. More appropriately, in a lake of fire. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Listen, life... For mankind is eternal. Our soul will exist forever somewhere. I'm either going to exist in life in the presence of my Savior, not because of me, but because of Him. Or I'm going to be separated but from, but the, because of my sin from Him for all of eternity, suffering in a hell, in a lake of fire that was made for Satan. That's the only reality. There is no other choice. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I don't mean to be unkind or cruel or, or, or harsh in any way this morning. I'm just telling you this morning that the world's idea that, that you know, we all serve the same God. I'm sorry, but Allah is not Jesus. Amen. And Buddha is not Jesus. And all of their gods, if they ever did live, are dead now. But my Jesus lives. Praise God. And what I would say this morning is that because he lives, 
He can come into our heart and come into our lives and empower us to live in glory for him, empowered lives that matter and make a difference uh, by the power of Christ. Listen, he delivered us from that sin and he delivered our souls from that sin, but he also delivered us from the power of that sin over us. What does that mean? That means if you live a life and you can't get victory over alcoholism or you can't get victory over angry or you can't anger, you can't get victory over self-righteousness or bitterness or, uh, or all of the different things that defeat us in life and that steal our joy, that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave not only to give us a pardon from our sin, but to set us free from the power of it in our lives. Amen. There's liberty in Christ that does not exist outside of him. Secondly, this morning, not only should I be, it has, has a resurrected life given me a life that's delivered from sin, but it's a life that's dead to self. That's what the Apostle Paul is communicating here. He said, listen, life is not about me anymore. It's about him. Life is not about all of my dreams, but his dreams. And again, in verse number three of Philippians, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence in me. Have, I, I can't do anything meaningful. You say, Pastor, but you, know, you, you prayed for me or you, uh, you, you sent somebody to talk to me about a problem or to uh, help me disciple me or to teach me this or, uh, or you did this or you, you sent somebody here to do this to help and uh, the church came to my aid here. Listen, all that's great and all of that is Christ working in us. It's not us. Apart from Jesus, it doesn't matter. And it accomplishes nothing. He says, be dead to self. Self-sufficiency steals from me a precious resource in Jesus Christ. See, if I'm content to go and do it on my own, he's content to sit back and let me try. But I'll always fail. I can't do it on my own. And if I try, I'm frustrated. And when we try, it's overwhelming. And it's defeating. And it's all the things that we can't do because he wants us to understand that the relationship that he wants with us is a relationship that's sweet and close and powerful. And when that relationship is right, there's nothing that God can't do through us. Dead to self. Not only is it self-sufficiency, does self-sufficiency steal from me a precious resource in Jesus? But he says, Paul says, I count all things lost for him in verse number seven. What does this show us? It's a, it's a priority shift in his life. It's a time in his life when the Apostle Paul comes and says, listen, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I, I dotted every I and I crossed every T. And my focus was on doing all the things that religion required. Now my focus is on Jesus. Now my focus is on, on doing his will. I count all things loss. All the things that gave me credit, I count loss and claim Christ. Do we claim Christ this morning? It's this life of this death to self means that my righteousness is no longer found in me, but found in him. Verses eight and nine again speak to that. And it says in verse nine, in fact, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. It is my righteousness found in him. What is that? Now I'm not just shifting my attention, but I'm understanding that I am aware of my dependence upon him. 
You know what gets Christians tripped up and you start living your Christian life and you're doing great for a while and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in trouble and our lives are falling apart again and we just feel frustrated and we can't figure out what the answers are. Here's the answer. Our righteousness is in Him. Our dependence is upon Him. But I can, I can trace it back when I start getting in that mode. It's generally, I can I almost pinpoint the moment, okay, you stop trusting in Him and you start trusting in yourself again. We're pretty self-reliant people. We kind of pride ourselves on being resourceful. We want to provide for our families. We want to take care of their needs. If a problem turns up, I want, to, I want to help solve it. But he's the one that can solve it. I need to be dependent upon him. Number three this morning, I want to be dependent upon the Savior. Dead to self, but dependent upon him. The resurrected life is a life that is dependent upon the Savior. Again, in verses 7 and 8, and we'll not take time uh, to reread them, but just, a, just a three quick thoughts here. I've got to be dependent upon him for my salvation. Listen, none of us will ever get to heaven because of what we do. We get to heaven because we acknowledge our condition and we cried out to him for mercy and we put our faith and trust in him. And as we repent of our sins, we say, Jesus Christ, would you forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and be my savior? I believe you that you're God. I believe that you're the son of God, that you've raised, risen from the dead, that you died to pay for my sins. And I accept that gift in my life. And when we do that, what the Bible describes that as taking place supernaturally in our heart is that new birth. That's what it means to be born again. It's a loose term. It gets thrown around. Every politician likes to throw it around. But what does it really mean? It means that God supernaturally worked in my heart when I took my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and sought Him's forgiveness for sin, and He made me born again, alive again. That spirit that died in the Garden of Eden suddenly came regenerated back to life within me. Now I can fellowship and communicate with my God. I must be dependent upon him for salvation. But I also have to be dependent upon him for joy and peace. I can't find joy on my own. Listen, there's enough heartbreaking things going on in life, in the world around us, that can steal our joy in a minute if we get our eyes off of Jesus. Be focused on him. Even in our loss of loved ones and, uh, and uh, to death and, and, our, uh, and our dealing with problems that come up in life and, and, and the, the problems that come about with disease and uh, just the, the, the general processes of life and, uh, and the people around us can steal your joy and your peace in a heartbeat outside of Christ. But in him, he can give that joy and peace. Not only that, I want to be dependent upon him for guidance. I need guidance. I'm generally pretty good with directions. I, I, if I go, so if I've been someplace once, if I, if it's been a long, long time, maybe just a quick glance at a map, and and I'm good. I'm there. And so there are a lot of things that I struggle with, but when it comes directionally, things like that, I can, I can handle pretty good. We were going somewhere the other day, and uh, and I, I opened the map and I looked at it for about 15 seconds, and then I went, I was there. And uh, and so it just that just comes naturally and easy to me. Guidance. But there's times when I go someplace that's brand new, I need some guidance. I, I need to look at the map. I, I, I need to know where I'm going. And there are times whenever I face things in life where I haven't been down this road before. And I'm not sure, God, what you expect of me here. And I'm not sure what you're trying to do in my life. I, I'm coming to you because I need some guidance. I don't want to just go out randomly and start driving around. I want to know where I'm going. I want to have some idea 
of what God's expecting of me, how God is working in me, what God wants to accomplish in me. And I would say this morning this, that I need to be dependent upon my Savior for guidance. He wants to guide you. He wants to guide me. He wants to be a part of my life. Just like as parents, we want to help guide our children and, uh, and help form their, uh, their upbringing. Just like we want to uh, help them uh, stay on course and serve the Lord, uh, Jesus wants to guide us. And then lastly this morning, if I am living a life that's resurrected in Christ, then I should be desirous of the sacred. Desirous of the sacred. I almost reworded that this morning because there's not too much in our culture anymore that's considered sacred. Uh, there are, there are, I, I remember growing up going places and it was sacred. It was sacred ground. And nobody even had to say it. I remember the first time I went to the tomb, of the, or the tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I remember the first time I went to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in D.C. I remember the first time that I went to George Washington's grave on his, uh, at his home, Mount Vernon. Places like that. I remember the first time I went to Antietam Battlefield. It's the bloodiest battle in American history. We used to live about 15 minutes outside of it. I remember the first time I went to Gettysburg. Those places, you go there at least then, there were no signs that said, this is sacred ground. There was just a holy hush that fell over that place that was inexplicable. It was sacred. And it was personal. Listen, there ought to be some things in your life with Christ that are sacred. Amen. There ought to be some places in my life in Christ that are sacred. Some things that can't go away, that can't be compromised, things that are sacred to me. And I would say this, that just basic Christianity, that I should be desirous of his person. My personal relationship with Jesus Christ should be sacred ground to me. Why? Because he paid a high price for my salvation. I want to understand and appreciate the sacrifice that was made for the salvation of my soul. I don't want to waste it or disregard it or devalue it because I take it for granted. We should appreciate the sacrifices that have been made for us. We get to a world and we live in a world today that really most feel entitled to all the things that we have in our country. But we only have those things because men gave their lives on battlefields. And men served and sacrificed. I want to be aware and grateful that Jesus Christ left heaven's throne. And walked amongst us. And was in all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin. And humbled himself and went to the cross for me and for you. I want to appreciate that. That's sacred to me. I want to be desirous of his word. If it wasn't for the word of God, I wouldn't know about what he'd done. If it wasn't for the Bible, I wouldn't know what his principles are and how he expects to live. I wouldn't know anything about his character and his nature. I wouldn't have anywhere to turn to go to to get answers whenever I've got questions. I wouldn't have any way uh, for him to communicate with me uh, and to give me guidance. I, I wouldn't have any way to know whether the man that stood before me and preached this morning is telling me the truth or was just making up what he wanted me to hear. There are generations of people that were told to lie by 
organized religion because they never actually went and read the Bible for themselves. Read the Bible. If the pastor says something that's not accurate to the Bible, then believe the Bible. The Word of God is our authority this morning. And we understand that the Word of God should be sacred, should be sacred to us. Listen, the, 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 it's, a, it's a wonderful thing when you're far away from home to get a letter from a loved one. Even that concept's kind of lost today because of technology. Whenever my wife and I were, whenever we were dating, there, there, was, there were no cell phones. We're getting old. Cell phones, that, that wasn't heard of. I mean, it was like, kind of like we were in, getting out of high school whenever the very first one was tested out in Chicago. And it was, you know, it got to be a big deal later, but the, the last year before we got married, we saw each other for, for about 12 days, two or three days in May and about 10 days in November. And a letter was, man, that was sacred. That was sacred thing. And I, I, you know, when, when you're far away from everyone and you've got no one and you get a letter from home, that's awesome. But it's not the same as being in person. So I, I'm glad this morning that I've got the letter. But I'm also glad that when I go to him in prayer and commune with him, that I can fellowship with him in person. And I'm grateful to know that because of the power of his resurrection, that when I leave this life, and I step and I open my eyes on the other side that the first face that I'm going to see is the face of my Savior. Listen, he wants you to be that. He wants you to have that assurance this morning too. He wants you to know that no matter what, when you wake up and you wake up on the other side of this life, that the first face you see is the face of Jesus. And you can know that if you'll just put your faith and trust in him. Are we desirous of his word? Will we this morning live a resurrected life? Will we this morning be satisfied with a life that's empty? That a life that has no joy? With a life that has no hope of a future? With a life that's all about us and really isn't going to matter when it's all said and done? Or are we desirous and hungry for a life that matters? Do we want to make a difference for the cause of Christ? If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, if I died right now, I'm just not sure where I'd go. May I, my friends, may I say to you, and John wrote this. He said, these things have I written unto you that you may know. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. Man, that, that, what do I got to do? Well, you don't have to do anything except acknowledge that, you're, that you've sinned against him. I have to recognize that I have a need. I have to understand that I need Jesus. And I need Jesus because I've sinned. And I have to realize that no matter how many new leaves I turn over, and no matter how much I clean up my act, it'll never be enough to erase the sin that I've committed. It'll never be enough to help me measure up to the God that loves me, that gave himself for me. And God can't compromise his perfection. He can't compromise his holiness. Justice must be served. It's, it's an uncompromising tenet of eternity. But God in his love and mercy looked down and said, you know what? I can't just wipe away your sin as if it never happened. Somebody's got to pay for it. Someone has to serve the sentence. Someone has to pay the penalty. And Jesus stepped up and said, I'll pay it, Father. And he came to earth. And all of the wrath of God's anger for eternity of man's sin was poured out on the body of Christ on that cross. And it didn't kill him. He gave up his life 
He gave up the ghost. He sacrificed it willingly for you and for me. And he went to a grave. And he laid there for three days. His body did anyway. And he was busy. But the body laid in the tomb. And when his work was complete, he re-inhabited that body. Began to breathe. I love that part of that song. Just envision that body laying there and all of a sudden, <gasps> air coming back into those lungs. Light coming back into those eyes. And that body beginning to stir. And a risen Savior sitting up on the edge of that slab. Taking away the cloth from his face and unbinding himself from the wrapping. Standing up, communing with his angels. And ascending to the presence of his Father to be forever glorified. That's the life that he wants for you. Pastor, how do I get that? Father, I know that I've sinned. And I know that there's nothing that I can do to fix this problem. But I also know that Jesus Christ fixed this problem for me. And by faith, I seek your forgiveness. And I put my trust in you and I accept the sacrifice that you've given me. And I ask you to be my Savior. My friends, if you'll do that this morning, Jesus Christ will save your soul. And your life can be changed in an instant. Christian, are you tired of just going through the motions of the Christian life? Are you tired of waking up every day and wondering what it would be like to have a meaningful relationship with Christ? Ask him to show you and teach you how to live in the power of his resurrection. Put him first and be amazed at what Jesus Christ will do in your life.